thank you for the opportunity we have to come together as a church family. Thank you for everyone that's here, God. We're here for you, Jesus. This is all for you. And I pray, Lord, that as we open up your word, that we would continue as an act of worship to let your word speak into our hearts. Let your Holy Spirit change us to be more like you, Jesus. Father, thank you for your love. You demonstrated by sending your son to die on the cross for us. And we love you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in a series entitled Questions by Jesus, a summer series, and we're going to highlight some of the amazing questions that Jesus asked people, and they relate to us as well. Uh, last week we talked about, who do you say that I am? That was a question that Jesus asked the disciples, and Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter hit the nail on the head. He got it exactly right. That's exactly who Jesus was. It's the most important question we will ever have to answer in our lives. Who do you say Jesus is? And my prayer would be you would say exactly what Peter said. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he saved me by dying on the cross for me, and by faith in him, I'm forgiven. I've been given the free gift of eternal life and forgiveness. It's awesome. Here's the second question I want to look at. It's this. Do you want to be healed? An amazing question that Jesus asked a lame man, a man who had been by a pool for 38 years wanting to be healed. And when you hear that question and read it in the text, your response is, of course he does. He wants to be healed. But it's still a powerful question because it's amazing how often we love to stay in our comfort zone, even if it's a negative one. We love to stay in this way we've been living for years and years, and we don't really want to change. And I believe with all my heart that when Jesus asked that lame man that question, he knew it would be in the Word of God. And it's just as relevant today in 2019 as it was back when Jesus asked it. Here's the bottom line. Following our salvation, we must nurture the Christ-like dependence, right? Moment by moment dependence on Jesus. Yes, Lord, I need your strength. I'm dependent on you. But we also must nurture personal determination to abolish the attitudes and actions that are holding us back from experiencing the transformation that God desires. If you're like me, I've met people who've had a testimony that have said, hey, when I came to faith in Christ, at that moment, he took away my bad habit, my bad addiction. My, my bad choices. I, I overcame this thing that I've been struggling with. But for most people, their testimony is this. Hey, when I came to faith in Christ, God began a work in my life. And as I entered into this process, God helped me overcome in time the struggles that I had. I want to ask you today, do you want to be healed? You know, Jesus had an amazing earthly ministry. In Matthew, it describes the ministry of Jesus in this way, Matthew 9. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. I was driving my son to the uh, airport last night. He was going to visit a friend in Boston who used to live here, but his dad took a job in Boston. And it's his best friend. So uh, took him to take the red-eye flight out of San Diego. Eventually, he would get to Boston, and um, <laughs> he had to go through another city to get there. Because my wife works for the airlines, my son flies for free. I love it. He even gets a free meal or two along the way, which is great. But on the way down, we were talking about, uh, about the impact that Jesus 
is making in his life. And I, I'm like, where, you know, where are you at? Where are things going? Oh, man, it's good. You know, he, he's talking about how in FCA, he's the president of his FCA group, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, how he constantly gets students confronting him about his faith. And he said, Dad, this one student walked up to me and said, oh, man, evolution's true. The Bible's not. It's been proven and tested and tried. And my son said, I told him right to his face. I said, it's not been proven. It's not been tested, not been tried. And I was inside. I'm just rejoicing as my son is growing up in his faith, in his high school, taking a stand for Jesus, confronting the lies that are out there that we hear all the time. And Jesus is an amazing, awesome God who went from village to village, town to town, healing and changing lives and changing their hearts. And it's a challenge to me as a dad right on Father's Day to say, man, as I see my son growing, I need to continue to grow as a dad because our Jesus is awesome. But the verse goes on, says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Exactly. We want to grow up to be those laborers who can impact the world for Jesus Christ around us. We have this awesome message. But there is a God. He made you. He stamped his image on you. He died on the cross for you. And he's preparing a place for you. It's an awesome good news that we need to share. But we need to grow up and get past those things in our lives that are holding us back from experiencing the abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10. That we would have that abundant life of making an impact for all of eternity. So I'd like you to turn today in your Bibles to John chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. If you don't have your Bibles, there should be one nearby. Page 890 in your chair Bibles. Now, just to put it in context, uh, the Gospel of John is an amazing Gospel. John chapter 3, Jesus meets a person that Jesus described as the teacher of Israel. Who is that person? Nicodemus. And in John chapter 3, it's probably the most famous verse in the Bible, which is verse number 16, exactly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He said to Nicodemus in that encounter at night, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus knew the Old Testament inside and out. He knew the, the Old Testament. He knew theology, but it still wasn't enough. Then in John chapter 4, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman. We refer to her as the woman at the what? At the well, exactly. That's the other bookend of humanity. She was a Samaritan woman. The Jews loved to hate Samaritans. This woman had had five husbands, and the man she was living with now, Jesus said, was not her husband. But Jesus shares the gospel with this Samaritan woman. She comes to faith in Jesus. There's a revival in the city of Sychar in the region of Samaria. And John teaches us a powerful lesson. The gospel is for everybody. It's for everyone. And Jesus demonstrated that by leading the Samaritan woman to faith in him. Let's read John chapter 5 with that in mind. This is chapter 5 after the Samaritan woman. It says this, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Archaeologists have found that place, by the way. They've reconstructed it. Here's a picture of that reconstruction. There's the pool of Bethesda. Five roof colonnades. 
And behind it is the Roman garrison that the Romans built to control Jerusalem. It's right next to the Temple Mount. In fact, the temple is right there in the photo, very close to where the temple is. That's where Jesus met and met all of these people who were invalids. Let's continue to read. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who'd been an invalid for how many years? 38 years. What were you doing 38 years ago? Some of you weren't even born, right? 38 years he'd been at this pool wanting to be healed. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, now here's the question. It's really a rhetorical question, but not. He says this, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, but didn't really answer the question. He said, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. In most of your Bibles, there may be a notation at the bottom of the text talking about how there was a belief that the, when the waters of this pool were stirred up, the first person in was healed. We don't know exactly what was happening there, but this man believed it. He goes, I just don't get down to the water in time. Someone else steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. You know, when we hear that question, do you want to be healed? I believe with all my heart, Jesus knew in 2019, we'd be reading this question. And this question was just as much for us as it was for this man at the pool of Bethesda. Do you want to be healed? Do you want God to come into your life and really change you? Some people get caught up in these bad old habits, bad old ways of living. And I hear things like this. Hey, Mel, this is the way I am. I was raised in a home where this attitude and this anger and these actions were prevalent. Hey, that's just the way I am. I can't change. Well, to me, that's a total denial of the power of God. So here's my challenge number one for all of you. Reject the tendency to accept and even protect ungodly behavior. That when the question is asked of you, do you want to be healed today? Your answer would be an emphatic, yes, Jesus, I want you to step into my life and heal me from these things that are destroying me that are leading me away from you? It's a powerful question. Do you want to be healed today? Do you want to be healed of those things that are keeping you from experiencing the transformational life that Jesus wants to accomplish within you? See, what that really comes down to, and I put it there, also known as heart disease. Our hearts aren't right before God. Our hearts aren't tuned into the Lord like we should. We're allowing other things to creep in and become more important than God. People have asked me when talking about healing, does God still heal today? And my answer is always the same. It's this, absolutely God still heals today. And I don't know if you're like me, I've been in situations where I, along with many others, have been praying for someone to be healed and that healing has happened. I've been in many situations where we've been praying for healing and it hasn't happened. People that have said, hey, I had cancer, they were prayed for, and they went to the doctor, cancer gone. Miracle. God absolutely still heals today. But we know there are situations where he does not heal, even when thousands of people are praying. But here's the prayer, I believe, something like this, that we should pray. This is a prayer that I will often pray over someone. Something like this. Lord, we ask for a healing. We pray with 100% faith, knowing you are able to heal, not obligated to heal. 
able to heal God. We pray over this person for a healing. We pray the desires of our heart, trusting you and your will, yet asking that you would do a miracle for this person. So I believe the key is this, believing with 100% faith, God, you are able. You're able, not obligated to. And we trust you and your will. But we're praying for a miracle. You know, when you think about the names of God, one that's very prevalent is this, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. But I believe more even than physically, God wants to heal every person spiritually today. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the greatest miracle of your life happens. You are made alive again spiritually. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians says. But God made you alive so that you could have a relationship with him. How? By the power of the cross. By the power of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And by simple faith in him, you've been made alive again. That begins this process known as sanctification of becoming more and more like Christ. See, God loves us too much to leave us in our old self. We take off the old garbage way of living and we put on Christ. He wants to heal us all spiritually. He also wants to heal, heal us all emotionally. That our emotions would be under the control of the Holy Spirit. That we wouldn't be losing our cool and getting all angry and exploding uh, at, at every turn at people who wrong us. But we would get those emotions under control that God wants to heal us of negative emotions. God also wants to heal us intellectually. The Bible says in Romans 12, to be transformed by the renewing of your, what? Your mind. That every day you're thinking differently and you're maturing in your faith as you move from elementary school Christianity, as you began your walk with God, moving to maturity and understanding what the Word of God says and living your life according to it. Like my son and I were talking last night he's, about evolution. He's grown so much in his confidence in the Word of God as he's read about these issues and grown up intellectually so he can stand against the lies that he hears even in the public school that are said to him. Here's another healing God wants to bring in your life, relational healing in your marriages, in your friendships, that you would do marriage according to God's plan. All of those healings are healings that God is very involved in today. See, God does have a great plan for you. I love the verse in, in uh, Jeremiah 29. It says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, that's that divine cooperative that I think is so important. Some people kind of lay back and say, okay, here I am, God, change me. I'm not doing a thing. You change me. That's not the attitude the Word of God has. We're to seek the Lord. We're to draw near to God. We're to enter into this process that the Holy Spirit begins in our lives the moment you come to faith in Christ. You don't become like Jesus to get heaven. You become like Jesus because you already have it. And you want to be like this God who died on the cross for you. But see, we must desire His healing without accepting or protecting sin. Romans 4, 14, 13 says this, but put on the Lord Jesus. I was just talking about that. Taking off the old, putting on the new. I want to be like Jesus. You say, Mel, that's, a, that's kind of a big apple to swallow. That's a big thing. How do I do that? One step at a time. That's what the Bible keeps calling it a walk, right? One right decision at a time. One step at a time. If you're going to tr take a trip to New York City, leave here from California, 
And on the way, if, if you knew every pothole you would hit along the way, not so many here in California, but when you get to the Midwest, believe me, I live there, lots of potholes. If you know every pothole, every bump you would hit along the way, you probably would never leave. You'd never begin the journey. But when you take them one at a time, one at a time, you eventually get to the destination. That's my challenge for all of us. That we would take this walk with Christ one decision at a time, one challenge at a time. And God, not why are you doing this to me, but what are you teaching me through it? What can I change in my life to be more like Jesus? How can I respond more maturely in my faith to be more like Jesus Christ? That's that amazing process that God is doing in your life to grow you up. See, don't you love that about our God? He's intimately involved in your life. He doesn't save you and leave you. But every circumstance is used as an opportunity to grow more like Jesus. So put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is. Make no provision for the flesh. What does that mean? Make no plans to sin. You know, there's some people that say, oh man, I'm so sorry I did that sin. I, that was wrong. I, I exploded in my anger. I, I, I shouldn't have done that. I thought this. I did that. And yet back in the back of their mind, they know they're going to do it again. They're making a plan for it to happen again. They're not taking the steps that they need to take to truly overcome that sin. I'm not walking past that bar anymore. I'm not taking that way to work anymore. I get tempted. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to see that person anymore. That person drags me down. See, we make the hard decisions, the difficult decisions to remove ourselves from those things that are tempting us or pulling us down. If you don't, you're making a provision to do it again a provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. See, we talked about David as a person who had a heart after God. We went through the Old Testament. David was a hero. Not perfect. He failed a number of times, but he had a heart after God. I love how he describes his desire to know God in Psalm 84. He said this, I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord with my whole being, body, and soul. I will shout joyfully, to the living God. Do you have that same attitude when you come on a Sunday morning, for example? Brothers and sisters, I want you to know I sit up front and I hear your voices and I love entering into worship with all of you. I encourage you to sing out from your heart. It doesn't matter what people around you think. Don't be concerned about whether uh, a person is thinking positively or negatively about how you're worshiping. Just lift your heart to the Lord. It's between you and God and joining in with other brothers and sisters who are like-minded in their faith, all at different levels of maturity. But we want to see God's unity and power and presence permeate this place so that everyone that walks through these doors would know that Jesus is at the center of everything that we do. That's why we say at the end of the services, all for him. It's all for Jesus. Have that attitude that you long and faint for the Lord, that you come into this place longing to worship. 2 Corinthians 4 reiterates this concept. Don't lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner, inner self is being renewed day by day. Who's doing that renewal? It's God working in us and you entering in. You having the determination to say, yes, God, I want you to work in my life. And you enter into that process and start making decisions according to the word of God as he grows you up. Here's point number two, it's this. Reject the tendency to rationalize and excuse our lack of cooperation with the Lord, also known as blame shifting. 
That's what I talked about before, right? Oh, now you don't know the parents I had. You know, Mickey alluded to it. You don't know the dad I had. He was terrible. And so this is the way I am. I'm not changing. See, that's a total denial of the power of God to change. You're saying God's not strong enough to change me. He is. And I know in my life, every time, when I fail, when I fall, it's not because God has failed me. It's because I have failed to plug into the power that God is freely offering to me every day of my life, every step of the path. He's offering me the power to overcome. But I fail when I don't appropriate it, when I don't submit to it, when I don't give in to the power of the Word of God, and I give in to my own desires. See, there's excuses that we use. Let me, I put them into a few categories. One category is this, authority. Where people challenge Jesus, and they say, you know what? I'm not sure where to find answers to my purpose and meaning in life. Well, here at Riverview Church, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the reason why we're here is because the evidence is powerful that Jesus died and rose again. In fact, it takes more evidence to believe, I'm sorry, more faith to believe that he didn't rise again than it ever does to believe that he did. Where else did this church come from that didn't exist by a powerful army conquering lands and saying, believe in Jesus or die? What happened was in the very beginning, one mile from his empty tomb, thousands came to faith in Jesus Christ. Thousands began be giving their lives for what they knew to be true. Jesus had risen from the dead. He had power over death. And many too would die giving that testimony. And that message spread around the world. The evidence is powerful. See, our authority is in Jesus Christ. Second excuse is often this, difficulty. Mel, it's too difficult. I, I, I may not be perfect, but it's too hard. It's too inconvenient to change. And this is what uh, some people say. They'll say things like this. I'm dealing with negative circumstances in my life, really negative circumstances. With this lame man, Jesus was focused on the state of the heart, not the actions of others. Jesus is focused on your heart. You need to remove yourself from those circumstances and first and foremost connect with Jesus at a heart level and say, I want to be healed, God. I want you to change me. In spite of the negative actions of others around me, I want to change. Here's another excuse people give. It's not a good time. I'll do it later, Pastor Mel. Not, it's not a good time right now. Jesus met that lame man at the pool of Bethesda. He was concerned about that very present opportunity now. When you read the word of God, it's always make a decision now. Don't wait till tomorrow. We don't know what will happen. To experience that life that Jesus wants you to have, make it now. Make that decision now. Here's the third excuse. It's this. I tried it in the past. It didn't work. I tried to overcome this bad habit, this sin in my life, and it didn't work. See, Jesus was fully present at that man and at his circumstance in that situation at Bethesda. He was fully there, ready to do action like he is today with life-changing power. If Jesus walked in, I've said this before, I know, but I want to, it's a powerful way to think about it. If Jesus walked in this room, walked up the center aisle, stood on this platform, what would your reaction be? You probably say, Mel, I would hope that I would fall on my face before this God who created everything, who loved me enough to lay down his life before me, to fall on my face and worship him for who he is. I wouldn't have any problem entering into worship. Well, the reality is, 
is here right now, fully present. That's why when we walk into this place, we ought to remember the words of Jesus where two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am. Fully here. I'm going to enter into worship and allow the Holy Spirit to convict me of the things that need to change. I'm going to leave this place determined to live a life of active worship by the way I live for Jesus. And yes, I will fail. And yes, I'll come fall short. But through those experiences, God will teach me and grow me up and help me to not fall again in that same area. I'll take actions on my part to minimize the opportunity that often confronts me to fall. That's taking action. So along with authority and the difficulty issue, here's another one, priority. I know I should change. I know God wants me to change. But my heart prioritizes other things. When your heart prioritizes other things, what's that called? What's another word for that? Idolatry, exactly. In fact, I had the word idolatry up there all week until Friday I changed it to priority. Because sometimes we can easily excuse the word idolatry and say, well, I don't have any small little wooden statues of gods in my house. But idolatry is really this. When you prioritize other things, including habits and struggles and sins in your life, and you refuse to change, when you say, you know what? This is the way I am, God. I'm not changing. God would say to you, do you want to be healed? Because he is right here right now wanting you to experience the life that he promised he would give you. Colossians chapter 3 says this, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self. You take it off, and then you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. That the more you follow Jesus, the more you take the word of God and let it soak into your life and change your attitudes and actions, the more you realize this is the way I need to live. This is the way I should do every day. If you're in the military, and I know some here are with the Marines, thank you for your service. Others of you have been in the military. You know the concept probably of overwhelming force. Every general wants to enter every battle with overwhelming force. We're in a spiritual battle right now, every day. It's raging around us. And we have this source of overwhelming force. I define it this way. When engaging in spiritual warfare, every effort, every resource, every tool available to us in God's arsenal should be used to achieve a decisive victory against the enemy who is dedicated to destroying us. We need God's power in our lives. We need to stand up as a church and let this community know this is something worth living for and worth dying for. We're not going to give it a half-hearted effort. We're going to take the power of God and give our full determination in this process, full effort entering into what God desires to do in our lives. So that's point number three is this. Reject the tendency to develop a hardened heart living in this world. If you read the text, as soon as this man is healed, he starts getting attacked. He's carrying his bed on the Sabbath, and when the Sabbath... When the healing happens, the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It's not lawful you to take up your bed. Verse 11, but he answered them, the man who healed me, that the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They weren't amazed at the miracle that Jesus did. They just wanted to attack this guy for carrying his bed on the Sabbath, which, by the way, wasn't a, wall, a rule in the Old Testament. It was a man-made rule. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, 
that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. This is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Hey, by the way, the next verse is a powerful verse for the deity of Christ. It says this, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself out to be equal with God. Man, when you see the reaction of the world at times to the work of God in people's lives, it can be discouraging, but reject the tendency to have a hardened heart. I've met believers with hardened hearts. They've given up. They've given up on the work of God in their lives. To me, that's what I would call backsliding. You're falling back. It's what Paul warned the Galatians about. Hey, you were walking so well, Galatians. Who bewitched you? Who deceived you that you're now starting to fall back? can happen. Don't have a hard heart today. Leave this place saying, God, I'm ready for you to do a work in my life. God, I'm ready to take a stand for you. I'm ready to identify those areas in my life that need to change. But you have to enter in. I want to share with you a story of amazing determination. I love this story. It's a true story. Let me start off at the very beginning in a small country schoolhouse was heated by an old-fashioned pot-bellied cold stove. A little boy had the job of coming to school every day to start the fire and warm the room before the teacher and the classmates arrived. One morning, they arrived to find the schoolhouse engulfed in flames. They dragged the unconscious little boy out of the flaming building more dead than alive. He had major burns over the lower half of his body, was taken to a nearby hospital. From his bed, the dreadfully burned, semi-conscious little boy faintly heard the doctor telling his mother that the son would surely die, which was really for the best, because the terrible fire had devastated the lower half of his body. But the brave boy didn't want to die. He made up his mind that he'd survive. Somehow, to the amazement of the physician, he did survive. When the mortal danger was passed, he heard again the doctor that was speaking to his mother quietly. The mother was told that since the fire had destroyed so much flesh in the lower part of his body, it would almost have been better if he had died since he was doomed to be a lifetime cripple with no use of his lower legs. Once more, the brave little boy made up his mind he would not be a cripple. He would walk. But unfortunately, from the waist down, he had no motor ability. His thin legs just dangled there, all but lifeless. Ultimately, he was released from the hospital. Every day, his mother would massage his little legs, but there was no feeling, no control, nothing. Yet his determination was that he would walk and to be as strong as ever. When he wasn't in bed, he was confined to a wheelchair. One day, his mother wheeled him out into the yard to get some fresh air. This day, instead of sitting there, he threw himself from the chair. He pulled himself across the grass, dragging his feet behind him. He worked his way to the white picket fence bordering the property. With great effort, he raised himself up on the fence. Then stake by stake, he began dragging himself along the fence, resolved that he would walk. He started to do this every day until he wore a path all along the yard against the white picket fence. There was nothing he wanted more than to develop life in those legs. Ultimately, through his daily massages, his iron persistence, and his resolute determination, he did develop the ability to stand up, then to walk haltingly, then to walk by himself, and then to run. 
He began to walk to school, then to run to school, to run for the sheer joy of running. Later in college, he made the track team. Still later, in Madison Square Garden, true story, you can look it up, this young man was not expected to survive, who would surely never walk again, who could never have any hope of running. This determined young man, Dr. Glenn Cunningham, ran the world's fastest mile. Powerful story of determination. Powerful story. And as we see the value of living for Jesus Christ and the impact that we can make for eternity, my prayer would be for all of us to enter into our walk with God with that same kind of determination, knowing that God is going to give us the power to succeed if we follow him one step at a time, one moment at a time, one decision at a time. James 4 says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. You enter in. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So now what as we close? I want to give you some steps. Number one, focus on Jesus as the motivation for change. Focus on Jesus. Husbands, focus on Jesus. Dads, focus on Jesus. Moms, mothers, focus on Jesus. In your friendships, focus on Jesus. In your dating relationships, focus on Jesus. How would Jesus do this? Here's the second thing. Take stock of yourself through the lens of Scripture. Allow this lens of Scripture to be that awesome mirror that will identify the areas that need to change in our lives. Number three, surround yourself with friends who encourage you in your walk. That's the beauty of church. As a pastor, I would love Riverview to be your place where you find friends that will strengthen you in your walk and that you encourage one another and build one another up and you're praying for one another and you know the world can harden your heart, but you're not going to go there because you've surrounded yourself with friends who love Jesus. Here's four. Reject negative thoughts of giving up and succumbing to failure. Don't give up. Don't harden your heart. Number five, substitute the bad habits you're getting rid of with good habits. There's a void in your life now when you've gotten rid of the bad things that you were doing in the past that you know were disobedient to God. Fill them with good things. Fill your life with serving others, serving Jesus, looking out for others, encouraging others with principles from the Word of God. And lastly, develop a hatred for your past destructive desires and bad choices. God loves the sinner but hates the what? The sin, exactly. Hate the sin in your life. Draw near to God. Draw near to Him, and you will see God do amazing things in you and through you. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Lord, as our hearts are bowed today, Lord, we pray that you would continue to do the work that you are doing in our lives. But help us, Lord, to enter in with powerful determination, to do our part, that we would draw near to you, that we would put you on and take our old self off, that we would see the power of you fully engaged in our lives because we've submitted our lives to you. Lord, I pray for everyone here, that everyone that walks into this place, Lord, would sense your power and your presence, would sense you convicting them and leading them to a life that's meaningful and purposeful. Lord Jesus, we love you. You gave everything you had for us, everything. Lord, we give our lives back to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. 
up front who would love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. Please greet one another. Dads, happy Father's Day and live this week all for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.